All right. If you're new with us this morning, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me just get that out of the way right now. <laughs> uh, my name is Dustin Daniels. I'm the pastor teacher here at River Bible Church, and we are glad that you're here with us to worship the Lord God Almighty. And we are going to study Matthew chapter 12. If you would please open up your Bibles this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 43 through 45, and we study God's Word verse by verse so that we can experience Him or share Jesus day by day. And uh, we've been studying Matthew chapter 12 now for six or seven weeks. Um, if you need a Bible, we got them in the back. My notes are also in the foyer if you would like to follow along. Um, we're going to be talking about why Jesus hates religion today. Why Jesus hates religion. You know, last, last week I, I mentioned that Matthew 12 is a, a ch really a challenging um, book or, or really a, a chapter to study. And it's tough because Matthew reveals the interior motives that we all share. So Matt uses the motives, motives of religious people here as exhibit A to get our attention. It seems that every time Jesus runs into these scribes and these Pharisees, these, these religious folks, there is a fight. And we learn through both their words and their actions how, how these men, they don't love God. They love their religion. They love their religion. See, loving God and loving religion, two very different things. Loving God is to love the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Loving religion, that is to love a system, a system of rules that is based on our own opinion and our own morality. So let me back up from last week. Let me make sure that we're all on the same page here, because many times I, I will say God hates religion and that upsets people and people don't come back. And I, I, want, I, want, I want you all to know what we mean by this. So religion, it is a self-defined Morality. We, we could also say that it's a corporate, corporately defined morality with, with different cults and with different denominations. Regardless, it is a morality. It's living by our own rules. It's living by our own standards, really our own opinions about God. We hear this all the, all the time, don't we? That you just live your own truth, right? You just do your own thing. You do you, baby. You just, you do you. You guys have heard that, right? Yeah. Meaning you do what you think is right, and then I will do what I think and what I feel is right. The biggest problem here with man-made religion is that its foundation is us. The foundation is our opinion of what morality is or is not. See, religion says, if I can just tweak my behavior... If I can just become a, a better person, whatever that means, then God will love me. But dear friends, please know that God is not primarily interested in your behavior. God's primarily interested in your heart. See, time and time again, Jesus tells us to deal with the state of our sinful hearts. And once again, we have much to learn uh, about what not to do here from the scribes and the Pharisees. 
These men, these scribes and these Pharisees, from the outside, they, they looked very pious. They looked very moral. But on the inside, they were dead men walking. Jesus calls these men whitewashed tombs. Whitewashed. That is not a compliment. (laughs) See, Jesus came to save us from ourselves. He came to save us from offering this, uh, from from our our self-opinionated morality. And what he did here is he, he offers himself as a saving relationship based on his works and not ours. This idea of salvation, this idea of heaven, eternal life, um, it is by faith alone through Christ alone. We contribute nothing. And when we, lo- when we lack faith in Christ alone, we start to do some silly things, don't we? Last Sunday, we learned how the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they, they demanded a heavenly sign from Jesus. Key point number one from last week, we learned that signs are gifts of mercy. Therefore, God doesn't perform them on demand. And we talked about how God is not a cosmic vending machine. Key point number two from last week, we learned that asking or even demanding for a sign from God, that is a sign of our own unbelief. See, a a true sign of our faith it is reading the book that God gave us. We're to read it over and over from cover to cover through the power of the Holy Spirit. We will see His signs. We will see His wonders. We will see His miracles. So that's all a review from last week. Today, Jesus provides another parable that really strikes at the heart of our self-governed morals and our, our religion, our opinions of God. And we really do have a front row seat here as to why Jesus hates religion today. We're going to see how man-made religion is about morality. So just as I defined religion, let me define morality for us. Morality, it's a system of moral conduct. All right? So think of your virtues. Think of the things that, that are character traits. Think about your integrity, your own ethics. And we're going to see how our own morals, they do not give us a ticket to heaven. Quite the opposite, in fact. Jesus shows us that living a life based on what we think, what is good, what is bad, it it simply paves a one-way road to a very real place called hell. Because good people don't go to heaven. Only forgiven sinners go to heaven. Now, today is a strange passage. It's weird. Today's passage is weird. Today, Jesus points us back to the miracle that he performed back in verses 22 through 32. That's where Jesus healed a a demon-possessed man. The man himself was blind and deaf. Uh, So this is Jesus' conclusion to that that healing. And and ultimately, today's passage is going to show us the consequences of trying to be a good person apart from Christ Jesus the Lord. So if you would, please stand now for the reading and the honoring of God's word. Just as we sang those songs with one voice, let's lift our voices up and read these verses, starting in verse 43. When an unclean spirit comes out of a person, 
It roams through waterless places looking for rest, but doesn't find any. Then it says, I'll go back to my house that I came from. Returning, it finds the house vacant, swept, and put in order. And then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they enter, they settle down there. As a result, that person's last condition is worse than the first. That's how it will be with this evil generation. Dear friends, these are the the words from God this morning. Um, They are authoritative if we are born again. And because they're authoritative, they are inerrant. They are without error. And they're without error because they're inspired. They were given to us, not from here, outside of us, right? They were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And because they were inspired, they they will never fail us. They're infallible. Father in heaven, the psalmist writes, Lord, you have treated your servant well, just as you promised. Teach me good judgment and discernment, for we rely on your commands. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. Let's take a look at verse 43 here. When an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it roams through waterless places looking for rest, but it doesn't find any. So if you flip back to verse 22, you're going to remember that Jesus healed this man who was demon-possessed. Let me show you the passage, verse 22. Demon-possessed man who was blind, unable to speak. So he was blind, couldn't speak. He was brought to Jesus. Jesus healed this man. So he could both speak and see. So this miracle gets the crowd's attention. It's wonderful that Jesus has saved this man physically. But here in verse 43, which may be, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes later. I mean, this this conversation is right after Jesus healed this man. Jesus says, yeah, the miracle's great. It's wonderful, but not so fast. See, Jesus begins to teach in in a parable. A parable is a story with a hidden meaning. And and Jesus wants the man that he just healed. He wants the crowd who is listening. He also wants the scribes and the Pharisees to realize something. That freedom from demon possession, the the freedom to be healed, that's not enough. So let's take a look here. Verse 43. Jesus says, when an unclean spirit comes out of a person. So here we we meet the main character character of our story, don't we? He's an unclean spirit. This unclean spirit is a demon. Now, when I was reading through this, I was like, well, why doesn't Jesus just say demon? Why does he say unclean spirit here? Well, it's part of the parable. It's part of the overall context of of Matthew chapter 12. See, there's there's a comparison and a contrast between clean and unclean, good and evil, moral and spiritual throughout this entire chapter. Now, Jesus doesn't say how this demon went out of the possessed man, regardless, it left him. And we want to praise God for that. Back to verse 43, he says, it, this unclean spirit, this demon roams through waterless places. Now, your Bible translation may say dry places instead. 
in Jesus' day, people associated demons with the wilderness. So this idea of a waterless place, a dry place, it represents something. It represents desolation and barrenness and extreme discomfort. If you remember in Matthew 4, Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness uh, while he was fasting. So back to verse 43. So it roams, the demon roams, this unclean spirit roams through waterless places looking for rest, but it doesn't find any. This kind of rest is not a physical rest like we need as humans. Uh, Keep in mind, a demon's purpose is to torment other people. So let me touch on a theological issue called demonology this morning. It's the study of demons A demon's mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. And not just destroy, but to destroy people specifically, because people are made in the image of God. Now, in ways that we don't understand, Scripture reveals that demons crave a physical body. So this demon is restless. He has found no rest because he hasn't found another physical body to torment. And if demons can't find people, guess what? They're going to look for animals. Remember when Jesus cast all those demons into that herd of pigs? Matthew chapter 8. I find it incredibly interesting that demons would rather be attached to a pig than exist unattached to anything. Regardless, verse 44. The demon says, you know what? I'm restless. I'm going to go back to my house that I came from. Notice how the demon calls this person who is made in the image of God. He says, my house. This is my house. This man was not his own. The demon owned his body. And that's why it's called demon possession, right? The demon possesses its victims. Back to verse 44. So returning to his house, he finds this house vacant and swept and put in order. So this also seems like great news. This this man evidently made some changes to his life. Jesus doesn't say, you know, say that within the parable, but let's just pause for a second. Let's use our sanctified imaginations that God has given to us. Fill in the gaps here. You know, maybe this man hit hard times. Maybe he he made the moral and the conscious decision to clean up his life. I'm going to clean up my life. Have you been there? Have you been there? I have. I have. I I remember when I was 30 years old, and I just went through my second divorce, and I thought to myself, wow, great job, Dustin. You have completely ruined your life. Good job. I was broke. I was depressed. I was so far away from God. So far. And I thought to myself, all right, your life's a train wreck. What are you going to do about it? So I, I, I can relate to this man. I can relate to his desire to want to clean up his house. Maybe he decided that he was going to turn his life around. He, he was going to pull himself up by his own bootstraps. He was going to quit drinking. Or maybe he's going to quit watching pornography. Or maybe he's going to quit gambling or overeating. Or maybe it was all the above. Every single one of them. Regardless, he wants to be a good person. Maybe somebody shared the gospel with him. Maybe he doesn't want to go to hell. Maybe he confessed his sins and was baptized. 
Praise God for that. And all those things are great things, but this guy still has a very, very big problem. See, the demon's house, this man, his life is vacant. Jesus says it's vacant. This man's life is still unoccupied. It's still empty. Even after deciding to make all of those choices to better his life. Some things were put in order. Jesus says his his house was swept. Meaning that, you know, like many of us, we can manage our sinful behaviors for a short period of time. So in other words, this man, what he did is he rearranged the dirt, a.k.a. his sin. He made some empty promises that he could never fulfill. You know, in the addiction world where I came from, this is the phase in life where we call it white-knuckling it. I'm going to white-knuckle it. I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to do it this time. I I know I said that a thousand times in the past, but I'm going to do it this time. I promise, right? I really am going to stay sober. I really mean it. I'm really going to change. I mean it. And the funny thing about white knuckling it, it does work temporarily. It works temporarily. See, the the problem is that we're, we're trying to be moral through sheer willpower. We're resting, we're counting, we're betting on our own righteousness, our own moral performance. I'm I'm, I'm basing my morality by the good deeds, my works that I'm doing. So white knuckling, it's when you go to an AA meeting, everybody introduces themselves and, you know, they they announce how long they've they've been sober. If you've never been to a recovery meeting, it goes like this. Hi, my name's Dustin, and I've been sober for two years, 10 years, 20 years. And everybody goes, hi, Dustin, welcome. The problem with all of that, though, is that many people in recovery groups, they've got a cup of coffee in, in one hand and a cigarette in the next. <laughs> hi, I'm Dustin. And I'm sober. (laughs) No, you're not. I mean, it's simply a transition from a lesser form of bondage. That's all that is. So all that to say, when this demon left this man, this man's life was changed for the better, but only temporarily. His life was still empty, which causes a much bigger problem. Verse 45, so then the demon, he goes and he brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and they settle down there. This is not good. The demon now has roommates. This man is now worse off by trying to clean himself up morally. Verse 45 continues, it goes... And brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. Jesus teaches us a very, very important theological lesson here. The first demon is not as evil as his seven demon buddies. Notice the number seven. In scripture, seven is the number of perfection. And in this case, a perfection of evil. 
has just entered this man's life, taken up residence. So in other words, this man's opinion, his, his personal morality, his good deeds, his religion, his ethics, his character, they've all failed him. They've all failed him. Look at verse 45. They enter and they settle down there. Squatters have all moved in. I mean, it was easy for all the demons to enter this man's life. Remember, this is their house. This is their house. Why? Why was it so easy for the demons to come back? Because no one was guarding it. There was no one stronger protecting the man from such evil. Let me just pause and and say this. If you are a born-again Christian this morning, you don't need to worry about being demon-possessed. Because the moment that you believed in the gospel, the Holy Spirit of Almighty God dwells dwells in you. All right? I know when we start talking about demonology, it gets kind of weird and it is scary. But dear friends, you've got nothing to worry about. Because the Holy Spirit, think about that. The Holy Spirit of Almighty God dwells in you. Key point number one for us this morning, there, there's no such thing as self-help. When it comes to salvation, when it comes to this idea of being saved, when it, when it comes to heaven, there is no, there's no such thing as self-help. I mean, it, it, it's one thing to, to go to the self-help section in the bookstore and, and learn how to do a spreadsheet or create a spreadsheet, right? But it is impossible with salvation. This man's willingness to to try and reform himself. This idea of becoming a better person, it's a a check that he can write, yes, but he can't cash it. Personal reformation. To be reformed, a.k.a. all of this religion, all the morality, could clean this man's house, but it's not sustainable. See, morality, it really does give us a false sense of security. But the reality is that we can't manage sin. And managing sin is the lie of morality. Key point number two. Guys, we don't need sin managed. We need sin forgiven. We don't need sin managed. We need sin forgiven. And there is only one God-man who is not only our Savior, guys, but he is also the high priest who can do that, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Back to verse 45. As a result, that person's last condition is worse than the first. So as a result of doing things his own way, as a result of thinking that he he can become a, a good person apart from the grace of Almighty God, Right? As a result of not submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ, his moral condition is now worse than when he began. This man thought he had problems when he, when he first started this whole thing. But the Lord Jesus shows us that his problems are now magnified sevenfold. Here's the other thing about morality and self-righteous religious people. Even though their condition is worse than ever, many, many times they don't know it because what morality does is it desensitizes us 
to sin. He's like a leper who can't feel his hands or his feet because the disease has taken away the pain, right? Even though he can't feel the pain, he is in desperate need of medical help. And the same thing happens to us spiritually because moral people, they live according to their own morals, to their own ethics and virtues. They are blinded by their own self-righteous deeds that they perform. And Jesus closes with this, verse 45. He says, that's how it will also be with this evil generation. Jesus continues to call these religious people evil and wicked time and time again. So, the context of this this parable, Jesus was speaking uh, to the scribes and the Pharisees. But guys, look, it is also a warning for us today. He says, that's how it will be. It will be this way. There's no other way. You try to live life with your own morals, your own ethics, your own character. This is how it's going to be. How's that? You're going to be worse off than before. So what's Jesus's point here of the whole thing? Well, Jesus was describing really the unteachability of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, keep in mind, the scribes and the Pharisees, they are Bible teachers. They are teaching their congregations morality. Not good. The scribes, the Pharisees, they were only content with cosmetic changes. They're not interested in repenting from their sin. They're they're not interested in surrendering to the Lord Jesus, which brings about true life. This idea of surrender, let me show you this, Matthew 6.33 Man, if you don't have this highlighted in your Bible, let me encourage you to do so. Put a star by it. Matthew 6, 33. Seek what? Seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And God's righteousness. See, guys, we don't have a righteousness of our own, do we? We've got His righteousness. He tells us how to live by reading this and obeying this. To seek God first, above all else. For those of you um, participating in baptism, go ahead and and excuse yourself and, and get ready here as I wrap up. Let me ask you this. Why does Jesus hate man-made morality and religion? Think about it. Why does he hate it? After reading this passage, it it seems fairly straightforward, right? It's a lie. It's a lie that sends people straight to hell. Have you ever thought about why there are so many different religions? Religions, they are founded on half-truths. Satan loves that, by the way. The half-truth being that you you have to be a good person, you got to do good things. Key point number three, I said it before, I'll say it again. Good people, and I put that in quotes, right? Good people don't go to heaven. Only forgiven sinners do. Good pe- There's no such thing as a good person, Romans 3.12. There is not one good 
person. And unfortunately, guys, there are many religious people that are in hell today. Did you know that there are two types of people in hell? Two types. You got those who weep, and second, those who gnash their teeth. Matthew chapter 8. Those who weep, what they did is they died, they came to God on their own terms, their own personal morality. And because their morality wasn't perfect, the debt for their sin was never paid. So they themselves will have to pay this debt in a very real place called hell. Jesus will say to them, Matthew chapter 7, I never knew you. I don't know you. Get away from me. You are a law breaker. Those who gnash their teeth, on the other hand, they have always hated Jesus. Always hated Jesus for his holiness, for his perfection, and his moral purity. Now, don't you find it interesting that Jesus didn't have any problem relating to the prostitutes and to the thieves and to the murderers and to the outcasts of, of society in the first century? That gives me hope. I love that. Thank you, Jesus. But it, it was nearly impossible for, for Jesus to reach the so-called good, upstanding citizens in the first century. All of these religious and these, these moral people, especially the scribes and the Pharisees. Why is that? Because they were deceived. They were deceived by their good deeds. See, what they did is they, they lowered God's standard of holiness and they raised their own standard of righteousness. Now they're on the same playing field as God. That's deception. And some of these people... Many of them had deeply held religious beliefs, but their beliefs, dear friends, Jesus is telling us their beliefs are wrong. They're wrong. See, they refused to recognize their sin. They never confessed their sins. They never bowed their knee to the Lord Jesus. They didn't see a need for a savior. And this is why the cross is so mandatory. Because when we believe the gospel, right, something happens, something supernatural happens, a transfer. Our sins are transferred to Christ. What Christ did is he experienced God's wrath from the Father for our sins on the cross. Jesus paid that debt. And not only did Jesus pay that debt, but he walked out of his grave to prove it was true. But it doesn't stop there. It's not just a one-way transfer. He, we don't just transfer our sins to Jesus. Jesus also transfers. He imputes his goodness, his righteousness, his holiness back to, back to us. Man, did he get the raw deal on that. Unbelievable. So Christ, what he did is he lived a life that we couldn't, and he died a death that he shouldn't, but he did. He did. So that when we as believers, we stand before a holy God on judgment day, we, by his grace, we stand clothed in the person and the works of Christ Jesus. Once again, not our works. We contribute nothing to salvation. And if that wasn't good, uh, if that wasn't enough, right? Just like the commercials say, wait, there's more. There's more. 
When we're converted, and that's that, this is the passage from today, when we are converted, the Spirit of God comes to live in us, the Holy Spirit of Almighty God, and He is our helper. He is our counselor. He's the one that reveals God's truth to us. He's the one that changes us. And He does that as we join Him in walking with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3.17, I love this verse. The Apostle Paul says, where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. If you have the Holy Spirit of Almighty God dwelling inside of you, dear friends, you don't have to walk back into your self-imposed prison, whatever that prison is. Whatever sin uh, draws you back into that prison, you don't have to go there. But see, you can't do it yourself. You got to join God in what he's doing and the Holy Spirit will help you accomplish that. Two things to consider here. First of all, we've all been here. We've all, we've all acted with our own morality. We've acted religiously. We've all been self-righteous. And, and, and the first thing that we want to do, guys, is to ask the Lord to forgive us of our self-imposed righteousness. We want to ask God to forgive us for thinking that we have all the answers and thinking that, that my works or my personality or my ethics got me where I am. So I would encourage you to repent from that sin. And then secondly, this is just a wonderful conversation for our culture right? We hear this all the time. You do you. Well, that's your truth. My truth is this, and I'm going to live out of my truth. And, and today's parable, it, it speaks to that. There are opportunities all over this Verde Valley for y'all to share Jesus in this way. Look, when you tell somebody God hates religion, people are going to go, what? You're going to get a response. Might be a good response. Might be a bad response. Maybe like you're crazy response. But man, it's a great way to start a gospel-centered conversation. And that's why we're here, right? We're here to go. You, 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 you come to worship God. You come to learn about God. You come to be empowered by God. Now he's going to send you out back into the Verde Valley. And you pray for a gospel-centered um, conversation, and you watch what he does with that. Amen? Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for showing us what religion does. Thank you for making it crystal clear that our morality and our opinions, they don't mean anything. That it's only by your grace that you have chosen us, you have called us unto salvation. We join you in that. We believe you. And now, Lord God, uh, we ask that as you continue to teach us your word and experience you verse by verse, that we would now go share Jesus day by day. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.